0: will be at the judgment seat of Christ if you put Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life and you'll receive rewards for the things done in the body that result in, that were done for the right purpose and done for the right reason. And then we'll lay our trophies down at the feet of Jesus, lay the crowns down at His feet because without Him, you couldn't get up this morning. Without Him, you couldn't get out of bed. So you had enough trouble anyhow with (laughs) Him getting out of bed. But uh, we praise the Lord for that. Would you take a moment and greet people around you and then have a seat? Go ahead and greet people around you. Welcome them to First Baptist Church today. Okay, I know what you figured out. You figured out as long as you keep talking, I won't start. So, <laughs> good. You guys are smart, you know that? You guys are really smart. We're glad to have everyone here this morning. Thank you for being in God's house today, and we want to welcome you. If you're a first-time guest here at First Baptist Church, or maybe you used to go here a few years ago, or every once in a while, or maybe you're one of the other of those, but you have a special prayer request. A change of address, change of phone number, something like that, or you just want to send some kind of a note, uh, that's what these cards are for. They're right in front of you in the seat back. Please pull those out. Fill them out front and back, however you'd like to. If you want to know more about the Lord, if you want to know more about joining the church, whatever your interests are, uh, go ahead and put that here. And then in, in the back, very back to the left of the doors, as you leave today, <clears throat> excuse me, as you leave today, there's a box with a cross on it. Go ahead and put it in that. That's our offering box for members. Members, our tithes and offerings go there. Be sure to remember the Lord with your first fruits. And then for guests and, and visitors and so on, just go ahead and put your guest card in right there. Now, we're going to do something unusual this morning because we're going to be baptizing in a little while. But I, I have some membership um, certificate and a baptism certificates. And so I'm going to ask these folks to come up here right now. Allie Campbell, Alec Hower, would you two come up here? I want to give you this um, membership um, certificate and, and understand that what's required for membership here at First Baptist Church is a profession of faith in Christ, baptism by immersion after you get saved, and attend our new member class. And Alec has done two of those things uh, and he's going to get baptized at the end. So, if I give this to you now I won't run out. and you renege on the, on the getting baptized, I know where you live. Okay. I just want you to know that. Alright? Good deal. And welcome to First Baptist Church. Also then we have a baptismal certificate. And Alex's baptismal certificate, given by faith. <laughs> given by faith. God bless you, man. You, glad for you. We are looking forward to that. In just a little while, we'll take care of baptizing them. Welcome again to First Baptist Church. We're so thrilled to have every single one of you here. And uh, let's go to the Lord. I know some of you have some prayer requests, some things on your heart and your mind, and uh, let's continue to pray for little Sarah, um, Annie's daughter on a vent, continue to pray for healing, for Nadia, pray for Gary, and uh, with every head bowed, I wonder if you have a special prayer request on your heart, you might indicate with an uplifted hand, heavy on your heart, something that God knows about, you know about, all right, our Father in heaven, you see the hands, but more importantly, you know the heart's. You know the minds. You know what we're thinking every moment of the day. You know what we're going to think before we think it. So, Father, I pray that you would be very near and dear to every person who raised their hand, every person whose name we mentioned, and even those who perhaps didn't raise their hand, we didn't mention their name, but they have a heavy burden today. I pray, God, that you would work out details of some difficult decisions that have to be made. I pray, Father, that you would give deliverance where deliverance is being begged for. I pray, God, that you would give your insight and help us to make the right decisions because there's so many pulls on us in this life, whether it be the world, the flesh, or the devil. Lord, our desire is to please you, so thank you for leading us and guiding us. We pray that you continue to do that. Blessed as we continue to worship you in song today. Blessing the message, an incredible topic that we have. Something uh, that, Father, uh, I need your help um, a big time, being able to even partially explain the incredible things that are going to be going on during the great tribulation. I pray no one here would ever be in that. That everybody here would make preparations to be in heaven, to be at the, that not only the bema seat but also the marriage of the Lamb, while all that's going on here. God bless we pray. This congregation today, we love you, and thank you for allowing us to be here together in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand as we continue to worship the Lord? you may be seated thank you praise team for leading us in the song and the music today in the worship and back the microphone just a little bit down i'm getting a little bit of echo up here okay so boys and girls first baptist church come on up to the front got something i want to share with you today boys and girls future leaders of first baptist church and foreign missions and christian school teachers and all that kind of stuff right here in our midst heroes of the faith All right, God bless you guys. How many of you know what tomorrow is? Yes, sir. President's Day. President's Day. And we remember in particular two different presidents. Do you remember those two? Does anybody remember? Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. Born in February um, several years ago. All right, both of them. And so we recognize, now last week we had another holiday does anybody remember what that holiday was? Yes, ma'am. Valentine's, valentine's Day. Day. Did you get any valentines from some guy? Okay. <laughs> good job, parents. All right, good job. All right. How many got valentines? How many gave some valentines to somebody? All right. How ma- what, what did you do? What did, how, tell me, somebody tell me. Somebody tell me. What did you do? Cards. You, did you go buy a card? You made it, the very best kind. We got one from our grandson. He made it, five years old. He, he wrote out, Grandma and Granddad, I love you, spelled Y-U-O, just like his granddad spells it. Yeah, that is great. I, I love homemade ones. What, what's something else you did? Did anybody buy any chocolate? What'd you do? I made a card. Did you? I made a card. And who'd you give it to? Oh, that is so sweet. I love that. All right. Well, I made a valentine. I know you're impressed. They're super (laughs) impressed with my valentine. It's been a long time since I did something like this, so come on. (laughs) Lighten up a little bit. But I wrote right in the middle. Does anybody know what it says right in the middle? Yes, sir. It says love. That's exactly right. That's what Valentine's Day is supposed to be all about, right? How we're supposed to love. I was reading this morning my Bible about uh, some people who came to Jesus one time and they said, what is the most important commandment in a whole wide world, in a whole Bible? What's the most important commandment? And and it, yeah, and, and, and Jesus answered to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That's the first commandment. And then he said the second commandment is like it because we're supposed to love other people. Even as we love ourselves. Later on in the Bible, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so love one another. But sometimes things creep into our heart that interfere with that loving the way that we're supposed to. And so, if I can make this work, can you be my assistant and hold my paper clips? Okay, look at here. When we open up our heart to see what's on the inside... What's the first word up there? Can you read that with <laughs> my. Quarreling at the top. Yeah, love this way, but quarreling. Does anybody know what quarreling is? Mm-hmm. Huh? It's a weird word. Yes, sir. Uh, like fighting. Yeah, like fighting and arguing. And what happens when we have quarreling is it defeats the whole purpose of having love. Now, also, there's another word here. Do you know what that word is? Yes, ma'am jealousy what is jealousy jealousy yeah <laughs> exactly what is it it's when you admire or want something that's someone else When you want something someone else kind of envy them when you envy them for what they have and you think why can't I have that and you get kind of jealous that's one one of the ways that jealousy works and when jealousy is there then it kind of interferes with love the other thing is the word right below that which is what envy. And envy is kind of wanting what others have also. So those are kind of like two others similar. And then at the bottom, I don't know if you can make that out because it's kind of crammed in there. Hatred. hatred. What is hatred? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, like, I be when we detest someone, when we don't like them, when we don't love them as we should. So when we have these kinds of things in our lives and in our heart, then it defeats the whole purpose of, of love. But God wants us to get rid of those things. So God wants us not to be quarreling. God wants us to get along with each other. He doesn't want us to be jealous of each other. If, God, if something good happens in your life, I ought to be happy for that. If something good happens in your life, I ought to be happy for that. Not, oh, how come I didn't get that? Or how come God didn't do that for me? And then, uh, of course, envy. We should never envy what others have because God is the God who provides all of our needs. And he knows what's best for us. And hatred is something that we ought to absolutely banish out of our hearts and never have there. Because when we have that, then we have love. And when we love God the way that we should and we love people the way we should, then Valentine's Day is every single day every single day. All right? Good deal. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the blessings that you give to us, Lord. And I thank you for these boys and girls. I thank you, Lord, for putting in their hearts the ability to love others. And I pray that, God, we wouldn't allow things to come into our heart that would keep us from loving in word and in deed and in truth. Father, protect and bless these children. Bless them, and as they get their lesson, in the next hour we pray, in Jesus' name, and all the kids said, all right, go ahead to your... Oh, we got something here. Miss Pat has something for you. Oh, man, I almost forgot all about it. You know how Jesus fed the multitudes with fish? (laughs) These are not just any goldfish. These are Valentine goldfish. And it says... To you from Miss Pat, so she's, and I wanted to get candy, and she said some of the mamas would get all over my case about giving them candy, because they'd have to control them all afternoon, they'd be climbing the walls, so we will give them goldfish, this way if they swim upstream, that's not my fault, okay. (laughs) All right, God bless you guys, go ahead and go to class, thank you so much, let's give them a hand. Okay, so I had to come up with something. I thought all week long I was thinking, what am I going to teach the kids about the tribulation? Some of the things that are happening in the tribulation are pretty scary. So I didn't want to do that to them, send them home with you, with their eyes about this big, uh, worrying about what might or might not happen. So th- this, l- this message today has turned, I think I've got a disclaimer in the notes, in fact, saying there are over 100 scriptural references in the message, over a Over 100. Uh, verses, different verses. I'm not going to be able to go over all of them. Some of you are so relieved to hear that you can't hardly stand it right now. You just let out a big sigh and you got a big smile on your face. Yay! Uh, so we're not going to do that. If you want the entire notes with all the references, if you will, let me know. Email me then I'll go ahead and get them to you or let me know that. <clears throat> it's going to be more like a topical Bible study for a very terrible time. Last week we talked about what happens to Christians who are evacuated out of this world Uh, by way of what we call the rapture. There's a different Greek name for it, different Greek word we went over last week, but it means the catching out or the evacuation of uh, the rapturing out of those who are born-again believers. Not church members, those who are born-again believers. Many contemporary theologians believe that what's to follow the rapture on this earth is unprecedented uh, time of trouble for the whole world, but in particular for Israel. This is where Israel pays a very dear price uh, for having rejected the Messiah on a national level. Anybody here like scary movies? Anybody here like scary movies? <clears throat> okay, I grew up in a warped home. <laughs> My mom loved scaring kids. I mean, he, he, she would scare us and, and you know wait around the corner and jump out at us and you know all kind of stuff. So, uh, so I, Pat came from a normal home, uh, more normal, I guess, and they didn't scare each other. Well, I didn't realize that. And so right after we had been married, I came in one night, and she was at the sink washing dishes. I came in from work, and I walked up very carefully behind her, and I grabbed you, right, and screamed. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And she did too. And did you hit me? I'm not sure. Uh, when I came to, <clears throat> she was crying and crying and crying. It took all the fun out of scaring her. I mean, it took every bit of the fun out of scaring her. So in order to continue my tradition of scaring, I had to have kids. And so <laughs> we had children, and I was able to scare them on several occasions. Well, the, the, just... I want you to know that reality during the tribulation time is going to be far scarier than any scary movie you've ever seen in your entire life. It'll resemble resemble some horror flicks in that uh, there'll be the likenesses of nuclear holocaust, alien invasion, cataclysmic so-called natural disasters, uh, satanic, demonic attacks. The word tribulation comes from a Greek word, which means literally to crush, to press, to compress, to squeeze to break. Uh, it's called, it's translated several different things, the same Greek word in the New Testament. It's, it's translated in 1 Corinthians 7, suffering, or troubles rather, and suffering in Acts 7, and in John 16, hardships, and in Acts 14, 22, um, it, it, hardships rather. So uh, those things though, however, uh, are eclipsed by the following two references in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, for then shall be Jesus speaking, after the rapture, then shall be great tribulation, such as was has not been since the beginning of the world to this time, no nor ever shall be. I was reading this morning about the judgments against Pharaoh in Egypt for not letting the children of Israel go, and how incredibly devastating all of those things were to, to Egypt. And yet, what this what Jesus said in this verse right here means that the world has not even begun to see what's going to happen. When the Holocaust happened, and millions of Jews and millions of others uh, were killed by uh, by Nazism and so on. Um, it's going to be worse than that. I mean, it's it's the worst thing that the world has ever known, has ever seen. In, in Revelation chapter seven, verse fourteen, he said unto me, "These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb." There's a lot of prophecy in the Old Testament as well that deals with. Uh, The tribulation, the great tribulation, the book of Daniel, uh, and and Daniel and Revelation fit together uh, quite a bit in relation to the 70 weeks and and, and so on. And don't have have time to go into that right now. You who were in Fitz's class uh, a year or two ago went over Daniel uh, in detail. Zechariah, Zephaniah, the Gospels, the book of Revelation. Uh, In fact, the the Revelation, uh, the apocalypse devotes over one half of that entire book to the time of the great tribulation. There are other names for the uh, great tribulation given in Scripture. Uh, I re-referenced Jeremiah 30, verse 7, a time of trouble for Jacob. And then in Zephaniah, listen to the way the prophet Zephaniah describes this tribulation time. In Zephaniah 1, verse 14 through 18. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteneth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath a day of trouble, a day of distress, a day of wasteness, a day of desolation, a day of darkness, a day of gloominess, a day of clouds, a day of thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and the alarm against fenced cities and against high towers. And I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as dung Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. So in that one passage of four verses, there's a day of wrath and a day of distress and a day of anguish and a day of trouble and a day of ruin and a day of darkness and gloom and clouds and and blackness and trumpets and battle cries and the day of the Lord's wrath and the fire of the Lord's jealousy. It's also called the day of vengeance in Isaiah chapter 3. It's called the final seven Uh, in the 70 weeks in Daniel chapter 9. It's a time of distress which has never been seen. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. A destruction from the Almighty. Joel chapter 1, verse 15. The great and dreadful day of the Lord in Malachi 4, 5. Birth pangs in Matthew 24, 8. The coming wrath in 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. The hour of trial, Revelation 3, 10. The great day of God's wrath, Revelation 6, 17. And John Uh, John saw these things. The author of the book of Revelation, he saw these things. And he records them for us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God in a way that um, uh, dramatic images, I mean, as you read this, a lot of people won't even touch the book of Revelation because it's so uh, difficult to understand, especially if you don't believe in a literal interpretation of the Word of God. If you try to spiritualize everything and make everything mean something other than what it's saying you don't know what to do with the book of Revelation. There's a lot of imagery there, but the Word of God is still to be interpreted in the way it's written. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. So here's what John says in Revelation 6, 5 and 6. The rider of the horse carries a pair of scales in his hand. A voice then announces that a small handful of wheat will cost a whole day's paycheck. Famine is going to be one of the things that happen during this time of Jacob's trouble, speaking of famine. So when? First of all, when will the tribulation happen? And there are three theories, okay? By the way, in prophecy, and it was pointed out to me, there's not total agreement, even in the evangelical world, about when these things happen, how these things happen, and what sequence of things. So I'm going to give you three different theories right here uh, for when the, the um, tribulation happens. I'll give you the first two, then I'll give you the right one, which is mine. <laughs> so when will the tribulation happen? And, and, and we have a chart. Uh, I think we have a chart up there. No, we don't. Yeah, we got this. Okay. Uh, okay. We had a chart last week. So three different. It's past. That's the first thing. First theory is it already happened, seventy A.D. When uh, the Jews, the temple was destroyed. There we go. So, uh, yeah. When does it happen? Here's the harpazo. That's the rapture. That's the Greek word for rapture. While we're in heaven with the bema seat and the marriage of the Lamb, the seventieth week of Daniel is taking place. So we're not even to this halfway mark on this chart yet. The Great Tribulation is divided into three and a half year. Parts, part one, part two, 42 months each, 1260 days each. That's the 70th week of Daniel, according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. So that's when that's happening. So so that's when I feel it's happening. But some people believe it happened in the past, when Rome destroyed uh, the temple, tore the temple down, and uh, scattered the Jews and defeated them at um, Masada, and so on. This is called the preterist view, I don't believe this is correct because uh, this is what is supposed to happen at the end of this tribulation time is the rescue of the nation of Israel. A nation will be saved as in a day. Zechariah, Matthew, Revelation all talk about that. Also, at the end of this time, Jesus is supposed to come back visibly and physically. Uh, He didn't come back physically. Uh, and visibly in 70 A.D., he ascended after the uh, the resurrection, after a few days after the resurrection. But he's going to come back in visible glory, not just judgment. The local judgments in Israel don't explain universal, worldwide catastrophes that we learn about in the Book of Revelation. So uh, I don't believe that this is the right view. This generation shall not pass away. Some people say, "Well, there, uh, that predetermined. It had to be." by 70 AD, because that generation couldn't pass away. But it's not limited to the generation that was alive when this was written, but rather to the generation that when these things began to unfold, then shall come to pass. And, and quite frankly, I believe in our lifetime, many of us here, uh, that we are going to see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the beginning of, for the Christian, the Bema seat, and the marriage of the Lamb, and on earth, the tribulation well, you say, well, the, the Bible talks about these things will soon come to pass. And what that word there means is when they start, then uh, the, without warning, it, it, it's close it, it, in proximity. It, it doesn't mean it has to be back in 70 A.D. or back 2,000 years ago. But when it starts to happen, it will happen quickly. All of this will unfold in a hurry. So that's the first view that it already happened. Secondly, that it's timeless. It's timeless. This is just kind of this idea of a tribulation. It it applies to any day and any age and any time. There there are all kinds of tribulation and bad things going on. It represents kind of the eternal good and evil, the Star Wars thing. May the force be with you, something or other, yin and yang, or whatever. It's just kind of a continual battle that goes on through the ages. And if this is general, then why all the preciseness in the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel? I mean, 1260 days, three and a half years, 42 months, 483 days after. I mean, you know, those things are all specific. What about specific places and time periods uh, mentioned? Almost all prophecies about Christ's first coming were fulfilled literally. Why would the prophecies about his second coming not be fulfilled literally? Does Jesus return to the earth in some spiritual way for every generation? And, of course, He walks the earth. He, in, our, in us, he, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit of God. And so God lives within us. And in that sense, He's here, but not the physical, resurrected, second coming of Jesus Christ. That hasn't happened yet. So here's the, I believe, the correct view. It is future. This is the futurist view. It's a literalist view. Now, now look. You say, you literally believe the Bible? You believe it? Yeah, I believe literally in the Word of God. Well, I understand there are figures of speech and imagery when jesus says i am the door it doesn't mean he has a a, a knob and a peephole and uh, you know it, that doesn't mean that it, it means jesus is the way i mean it's it's a figure of speech we use that so there's he's the he's the vine he's the the road uh, he's the truth he's the life i mean it's okay you can still be a literalist and believe in the figures of speech uh, but this is the only view That is literal in its interpretation, whereas 144,000 Jews who are men, who are virgins, began preaching the gospel around the world. Jesus will be literally seen when he comes to the earth. They will behold him whom they have pierced. They will see him, The, the magnitude of the cataclysmic events Indicates something still future because what's described in the book of Revelation in particular has not happened on this earth uh, at all. Sun being darkened, days shortened, moon, a blood color, so on. <clears throat> God does not replace his people Israel with anyone else including the church. Uh, Jews, prom- Jewish promises are Jewish. Christian promises are Christian Matthew 24 and Revelation teach about Israel's salvation. There will come a time when they accept him as their Messiah, as their king of kings. So so I believe that their, their salvation is spiritual and physical, not simply a destruction in 70 A.D. Daniel's final week is found in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And I'm just going to hit the highlights there. Basically, there's going to be a degree to rebuild Jerusalem. Well, they've already taken Jerusalem in our lifetime, in this generation. Never before in recorded history has a nation been out of existence for 1,900 years and come back into their homeland. Do you understand that? That has never ever happened before. And, and there's this rebuilding of Jerusalem. The captives re, will be released from Babylon uh, in his final week. The temple rebuilt. There's gonna be a third temple. There's gonna be a third temple. It won't be Solomon's, won't be Herod's, it'll be a third temple. There will city walls will be rebuilt. 483 years passed before the Messiah. Messiah offered the kingdom of Israel, but it was rejected, so all that happened. Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed in 70 A.D., so yet to be fulfilled, someone that's referred to as the beast, which conjures up all kinds of things, right? We get all kind of freaky things in our mind. It means the living creature. It's, it's, it's a general, very general term. In all the places, it's called the Antichrist, So the one who is the antithesis of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will make a covenant with Israel. And amazing. That's, That's crazy. I mean, here he is. He's going to rise to power. He's going to be against Israel ultimately. But at first he makes a compact with him, an agreement with him, maybe to provide protection for them. Then the temple will be rebuilt for the third time. Then animal sacrifices, are you listening, will begin again animal sacrifices will be instituted in the temple because, remember, the Jews are still waiting for their Messiah. But then it will be interrupted by the Antichrist. And the way it's going to be interrupted is going to be called, in the Scriptures, it's called an abomination. Because he's going to set himself up as God, and he's going to, uh, to demand that the sacrifices be made in, in, to him. And then the end will come. Well, what's the end? Well, the end Begins with the events of the tribulation in the first three point and a half years. Uh, this powerful leader, this antichrist, is going to bring together uh, a people and a following politically, financially, militarily. I mean, he's going to bring it all together. He's going to appear to be the savior of the world. And I'm telling you, the world is, is a crazy, mixed up, messed up place. With the, invite, the fighting, the wars, the civil wars, the, uh, the, the ongoing conflict in the Middle East that's going to continue to be ongoing until Jesus Christ does come back again. But all this stuff is, is going on. And, and, and now we have coronavirus and we have you know, the worldwide this and that and some fears and all this kind of stuff. And he's going to bring everybody together, this powerful leader, make a treaty with Israel, and the temple will again become significant. I've heard probably for 30 or 40 years, that they already have materials set aside to rebuild the temple. Also have heard, you know, the red heifer, anybody ever studied the red heifer? Yeah, yeah, and, uh, required for certain sacrifice to be made, and n- not real common, but that they have, I'm, I don't know, I don't know if they do or not. I read on the internet, so I'm sure they do, right? <laughs> everything on the internet is true so, uh, but they supposedly have the red heifer now so what's going to happen in, in, one of the, in the first three and a half years the seal judgments are going to happen the seal judgments uh, are going to happen Revelation chapter 6 first seal is a conqueror on a white horse this is the antichrist it's not Christ this is the antichrist coming in he's going to conquer second seal is rider on a red horse that's war Revelation 6, 5 and 6. The third seal is the rider on a black horse. That's famine. Oftentimes famines do follow wars. The fourth seal, rider on a pale horse. That's death. One quarter of the world's population will die at that moment. Do you realize how significant that is? If if there are 7.5 billion people on the earth right now, I don't know how many there really are. let's, Let's be generous and suppose three Three billion of them are saved. I I don't know that. I don't have any idea why I would even say that. But I know why I'm saying it. At least four billion, which is really easy to divide by four. Okay? So let's say three billion billion are raptured. You got four billion people alive. In a one fell swoop, so to speak, one billion people will be taken out, will, will die. The fifth seal, martyrs for Christ will cry out for judgment. Guess what? People are going to be saved during the great tribulation. You know who I think they are? I don't think they're going to be Americans. I don't think they're going to be people here who've had the opportunity to hear the gospel on television, radio, in churches all across. I don't think it's going to be folks who've been brought up uh, w- hearing the gospel to the point where they're deadened to it and they, they're they tired of it and they don't want anything to do with it. I, I don't think that, I think it's going to be people where the gospel was prohibited from being preached. I think it's going to be people in countries where it's illegal to preach the gospel. It's illegal to make converts and we could name any number. Of countries that would fit in that mold right now, but a great number of martyrs for Christ will cry out for judgment. They they will have to pay for their salvation. Now, I'm not saying they earn their salvation, but because they profess faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to be crucified. They're going to be killed, beheaded. I don't know. Crucified. I don't know. They're going to die for their faith. It's already happened in some countries right now. Again, every week, almost, I guess, every week on the internet, I read about some more Christians who were martyred in some country for their faith. The sixth seal is a great earthquake and cosmic disturbances of some kind. The seventh seal is silence in heaven as the next wave of judgment is anticipated. An incredible. These, six, these seven seal judgments, an incredible time of, of cataclysmic judgment on a sinful earth that, in, for the most part, has rejected Jesus Christ. So during this time then, the Antichrist gains power this three and a half years through military might, diplomacy, uh, he, he heads up a Ten Kingdom Confederation that for years, preachers have said, is the common market or the European economic community. Uh, and, and the number of nations in that keeps changing. It's just changed with the Brexit. It changed recently again. So I, I don't know if that's the vehicle that he's going to use, but he's going to be in a Ten Kingdom Confederation reminiscent of the old Roman Empire, which could include Britain, because the Romans made it to Britain. Two witnesses during this time are raised up in Israel. Two witnesses will preach in the streets. They will preach, and they will preach for a long time, and nobody will be able to hurt them until God wills and allows it to happen. 144,000 Jews go everywhere preaching the gospel. And they will be sealed with God's protection. No one can harm them until God allows that to happen. The 144,000 Messianic Jews will preach the gospel. Many will be converted. Many of those who get saved will be martyred by the Antichrist. Now what about, so that's the first three and a half years. Then you come to the middle of the tribulation. Seven trumpet judgments will fall. Revelation chapter 8. First there will be hail and fire. I was reading again about, again, the, the, the judgments against Egypt and how that the hail destroyed, killed livestock, killed people who were not in the safety and confines of some kind of structure and, and destroyed the crops. And then how the fire fell from heaven and, and burned up so much. And, and so here you're going to have hail and fire. One third of all vegetation on the earth is destroyed. Not just in Israel. One third of all vegetation Secondly, a huge burning mountain is thrown to the sea. One-third of all sea life dies. Next, third of all, a great star falls from heaven and pollutes the freshwater sources. Many die because of the polluted water. Then the sun, moon, stars are diminished by one-third. Their intensity, their light is reduced by one-third. An angel then allows demonic forces to escape their prison in Revelation chapter 9 for five months. Massive armies from the east, over 2 million strong, move on Israel. When that was written, there was no power to the east that had an army close to that. Armies had, armies were in the 100,000s in the or maybe 200 Two million strong army. There is a country in the east of, of Israel now that can field an army of 2 million soldiers. Anybody know what that country is? China, yes, okay, China, yes. Heaven rejoices in Revelation chapter 11. Heaven rejoices in this middle of the tribulation. The Antichrist invades Israel, kills the two witnesses. He's given the ability and the power and the permission of God to kill these two witnesses who then they have three days while they lie in the streets. It's like party time for the world. Yay, these old Baptist preachers. That's what I think they are. These Baptist (laughs) preachers are no longer preaching. They're no longer tormenting us. And so we're going to, let's have a party. Uh, We'll have cake. We'll have ice ice cream, we'll pack, and we'll give presents to each other. This goes on for three days. They leave their bodies lying in the streets. And on the third day, guess what happens? They're resurrected. And the Bible says the whole world's going to see that. When that was written, there was no possible way for the whole world to see what happened in Israel. And now, because of satellites and dishes and, uh, and cable, and everybody will know when these two witnesses are raised and then ascend into heaven at this time satan is thrown out of heaven confined confined to the earth he will be he will be absolutely limited in his power and his ability. The Antichrist suffers what appears to be a fatal wound. I say what appears to be. In some of the texts it seems like it is fatal. He dies and then he's resurrected again. But because this is the antithesis of Christ and the false prophet is the antithesis of the Holy Spirit and Satan is the antithesis of God and because they're so involved with deception, I think it's a deception. I think the wound appears to be fatal and he pulls off this anti resurrection because Jesus Christ truly took his life up again he says if I lay it down I can take it up again and he did no one else has that power but somehow he survives and then enters the temple proclaims himself as God the false prophet sets up an image of the Antichrist demands worship the Jews then recognize the betrayal and run from his persecution The false prophet requires a mark to buy or sell. Anybody know what the mark is? (laughs) 666. Not necessarily. There is a mark, and and I know it says it refers to the number 666, but the number of man trifolds. So I, I don't know what the mark is. I just know nobody's getting near me to tattoo something on my hand or my forehead. It's not happening. I used to think it would be great if we could take attendance in church, get everybody to have a tattoo on their forehead and then scan them when they come in the church building. That wouldn't fly. That wouldn't go over. I read this week where a guy got a, a, a chip put in his hand that unlocks his car so he doesn't have to carry the fob around. I'd rather carry a fob around. If it's the size of a brick, I'd rather carry a fob around than have some chip put in my hand well, good, I can open the door.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but you know, we're, ge- we're getting prepped for this idea that people will not be able to buy or sell or conduct business or even get the necessity of life, of, their, of living, of life, unless they receive the approval and the permission of the Antichrist. So we come to the final Three and a half years. And in the final three and a half years, everything intensifies, if you can believe that. It's already been so bad. But it intensifies, and the, the bold judgments, or some call it the vile judgments, V-I-A-L judgments, and are painful sores on everyone who has the mark of the beast, the mark of the living creature. Secondly, oceans turn to blood, sea life dies. Again, it's so reminiscent of what I was reading this morning about the plagues that came to Egypt. Fresh water turns to blood, Revelation 16. Sun begins to scorch people, Revelation 16. Darkness covers the Antichrist realm, Revelation 16. I'm telling you, we're right back to Pharaoh. The Euphrates dries up, allowing the armies from the east to invade two million strong. A devastating earthquake hits, and hailstones fall from heaven. Folks, I'm telling you, this is like every, every catastrophe movie that you've ever seen rolled into one thing and, and blown up by about a million times. Then Antichrist prepares for the battle of all battles, the mother of all battles, and the mother of all battles was not fought in Iraq. The mother of all battles will be fought in the Valley of Megiddo, and there is a sign right now, I have seen it, not on the internet, with my own eyeballs, this is where the final battle will take place. It's in the Valley of Megiddo right now. Antichrist prepares for it, Revelation 16, Daniel 11. Antichrist then defeats the armies of the east. He defeats the two million strong army, and Jesus returns. And, and as Antichrist is then focused on destroying Israel, Antichrist, uh, that Jesus Christ will return, and, and feet touch down on the Mount of Olives. The, the mountain is cleaved into, and Israel escapes, and, and they get saved, as a nation as in a day. And those who survive Armageddon will then be judged. And God's millennial kingdom comes there. earth. Let's see the millennial, this other map, tribulation map. This kind of condenses what we just talked about. From the rapture of the saved to the return of Christ in glory, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bull judgments, ending up in the battle of Armageddon, three and a half years, temporary peace, Jewish temple rebuilt by the Antichrist. Antichrist moves into the temple, declares himself to be God. That's what we've just talked about. That's what's going on on this earth. While, by way of contrast, you and I get to see our Savior. And He blesses us with eternal life. And if we have done anything good with the right motivation, He gives us rewards that we will then take and lay at His feet. And then There's the marriage of the Lamb. And the true church, there is no true church on the earth right now. I mean, not a single true church. It's not some denomination. It's not Baptist. It's not Catholic. The true church are those born-again believers who will be assembled one day. They're not assembled yet. They're all over. And one day they'll be assembled. And we will become part of the bride of Christ as we are united with our bridegroom. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the question is this. You want to be here on the earth for all this stuff? Or you want to be with the Lord in heaven? Beginning to enjoy what eternity is going to be like. What a contrast. Where will you be? It depends on your relationship with Jesus Christ. you bow your heads with me please do you know Christ is your Savior do you know your sins are forgiven do you know for sure if you died this afternoon that you would be in heaven for eternity would you like to know that preacher how can I know that for sure you can ask him to forgive you your sins and be your Savior be your God How do I do that? Well, you can pray. Right now, you can pray to God. He knows what's on your heart. He knows what's in your mind, like we said when we started this message. So you can pray to him right now. Something like this. You can say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I realize I can't do anything to earn heaven. I'm not good enough to get there. I can't buy my way into it. I realize I'm a sinner. Secondly, I realize I'm going to die someday. Unless the Lord comes back in my lifetime, this old body will give out. And I'm going to die. And when I do, I'll stand before you. And I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. And that he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you when you say, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in our heart, God has raised him from the dead, that we can be saved. So I confess you, Lord, as my Savior, as my God, as my Lord and Master. Be my Savior right now. I trust you with all my heart. With every head still bowed, if you just now prayed that prayer, you didn't pray the exact same words made, but you just now prayed that prayer, and you meant it, sincere as you can be, would you raise your hand up for just a second? Hold it up high. Keep it up for just a moment. God bless you, you, and you, and you. Yes, thank you. you. can Put your hands down. Are there others? Are there others? Okay, look up this way. On the back table, uh, right next to the sound booth corner, there's some blue bags in There are some things for those of you that just raised your hands or maybe if you prayed that prayer but you didn't raise your hand, I want you to pick up one of those on your way out. Just take it with you. Nobody's going to stop you. Nobody's going to question you. Just take it with you and get started in your new life and your new walk with Jesus Christ. If there's any way we can help, we want to. And here's what we're going to do right now. So I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. Nobody's going to be pressured to do anything. But we're going to stand in a moment. We're going to sing an invitation. And I'm going to have Rachel over here. Any ladies who would like to have a lady to pray with, come and see her. Any any guys who want a man to pray with, David, right back in the back, uh, if you would stand. Uh, there and David, wait, would you mind coming over here to the to the front? Would you mind? So, if, if you're a guy you want a guy to pray with, we got David and David, okay? Uh, and and we have Rachel right over here. So, uh, we're gonna stand, so, so go ahead and stand right now, Father in heaven. May you take control of the service, the rest of the service, Lord. If there's someone who needs to come and talk with someone and pray with someone, someone who needs to come and let them know that they trust in Christ, someone who needs to come and church, they're looking for a church home, and they, they want to just say, I'm, I'm looking and pray with me about it, or whatever it is that they need, God, may you talk to them, may you lead them in this service, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as we sing our invitation, ladies, if you need someone to pray with, Rachel, right over here, guys, David, and David, as we pray. But I come. Be seated. We have three who are going to follow the Lord and believers' baptism this morning. We believe that baptism is a a public profession of our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. When you get saved, you can be without anybody else knowing about it. You just open up your heart and open up your life and ask Jesus to come in. But when you get baptized, it ought to be as a profession of faith, letting other people know that you believe in Christ who was crucified, buried and rose again. It's also signifying symbolically Our old nature, our sinful nature is dead and buried. We want to rise to walk in a whole new life. And I'm going to ask Alec to come first of all. Put your head here. Step right here. Put your feet right down there. There we go. This is Alec, and he didn't leave with his certificates. Yeah. Alec, you know what? Putting your faith in Jesus Christ and following him in believers baptism is a, a 180 degree turn for all of us. And I'm so grateful and so thankful for your profession of faith and your testimony that you're being to everyone who's assembled here and to others, got family all with you here. And so Alec, it's my pleasure and my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in the likeness of his death and raised again the likeness of his glorious resurrection. Amen. All right. All right, man. Amen. Faith. Okay, we have two sisters, Faith and Charlize, also known as Charlie, and they're going to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I'm as Faith to come first. Step right here. Yeah, it works. All right. Turn around and face that way. There you go. All right, Faith. And how old are you, Faith? Twelve. Twelve years old. Have you prayed and asked Jesus to come into your heart and be your Savior? All right, because of that profession of faith, and I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bearing the likeness of his death and raised again in the likeness of his glorious resurrection. Amen. All right. Okay, this is Charlie. Stand right there. And then turn around and face the other way. Get your legs right down there. Charlie, how old are you? Ten. Ten years old. Have you received Christ as your personal Savior? Ask him to come to your life and be your Lord and Master? Yes. Because of that profession of faith. And I baptize you also, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death and raised again in the likeness of his glorious resurrection. Take a little breath.
1: Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs>
0: Okay, what I didn't tell them was the heater didn't work very well, so uh, they will remember this baptism. (laughs) Oh, man, it's not real cold, but it's not real hot either, so praise the Lord. You know what? If you've never been baptized, never have followed Him since you've received Christ as your personal Savior, I'd love to take care of baptizing you. Just let me know. We can do it anytime that you're available, all right? Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you're so incredibly good to us. Lord, we don't deserve any of it, but you give us so much. You do so much for us. Thank you for your blessings on this church. God, thank you for every person here. Thank you for visitors and guests. Thank you for our members, those who've been active and involved for a long time, those who are getting more faithful. God, bless all of us. And Lord, help us to make a difference in Coronado for Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in grace. Don't forget those blue bags. If you raised your hand or you prayed or you just want to pick up of them, go ahead and do so. God bless you.